Hey, good morning. My name is Jason Espy. I'm a uh, elder here at Calvary Bible Church, and we're going to be doing the scripture reading from the first chapter of Ecclesiastes, uh, 1 through 11. So verse 1 says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And he says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What advantage does man have in all his work, which he does under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Also, the sun rises and the sun sets, and hastening to its place, it rises there again. Verse 6, blowing toward the south, then turning toward the north, the wind continues swirling along, and on its circular courses, the wind returns. All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, there they will flow again. All things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is that which will be. And that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, see this, it is new? Already it has existed for ages which were before us. There is no remembrance of earlier things and also of the later things which will occur. There will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. Amen. After reading that, how many of you feel encouraged? (laughs) No one will remember you, basically. True. Life isn't fair and life is short. Amen? That is the message of the book of Ecclesiastes. If we try to find meaning and value in life under the sun without God, it is vanity. Amen? That is the message of the book of Ecclesiastes, and that's where we're going today. But today we are in our second week in the book of Ecclesiastes. As I stated last week, the book of Ecclesiastes gets a little bit of a bad rap. People uh, find it pessimistic and depressing. And because I was stretching this morning, then you know I find it completely and totally different. I find it to be the complete opposite. That the book of Ecclesiastes deals in reality land. Amen? That life really isn't fair and that life is hevel. It is vanity. It is short. It is like a vapor. I find, I, I've, I've been reading the book of Ecclesiastes at least 50 times. And I've read it multiple times every week for the last four months. And I have walked away just totally changed, totally renewed in my thought on life under the sun. Because as I was reading it, you know, at first I was depressed, okay, that, that no one will remember my name, and that's okay, because no one probably will. Uh, my grand, grandchildren's grandchildren will not remember Byron Bradshaw. But guess what? My value is not in this world. Amen? It is not in the legacy that I leave behind under the sun. My legacy and my value is determined by my Creator. Amen? I have found the book of Ecclesiastes to be the total opposite of what I anticipated. I anticipated after studying this book to be completely and totally depressed, but it is really the opposite in every respect because I just, as I read the scripture again and again and again, I just said to myself, finally somebody said it. Finally somebody told me reality. 
That we, we make Christianity, we make this world something it's really not, amen? That, that because of sin, because we introduce sin into the world, life stinks, amen? At least it can, right? So then what are we to do? We are to do five things. We are to embrace that life is short, that life is unfair. So then we should enjoy God's blessings now. We should fear God and we should keep His commandments. And if we abide by these five principles, then what will we have according to the book of Ecclesiastes? We will have a life well lived under the sun. If you're looking for a sermon about eternal rewards and eternal life, really that is a sermon for another day. Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes deals with life under the sun. You're 80 years if you're lucky in the flesh. That is what we are talking about today. So if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. But I'm going to begin this morning with a question. True or false? True or false? My, by the way, my wife said last week I was in rare form. Okay, I think I'm uh, just uh, copying that same form this morning. But true or false? Ever since the beginning of time, man has wanted to be like God. True or false, ever since the beginning of time, man has wanted to be like God. That's true. For it was the original temptation. We, as human beings, we want to be immortal, all-powerful, and in control. Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. And despite our attempts at immortality, our life is Short, it's like hevel, it's like a vapor in the wind, that life without God is vanity. Amen? That is the message in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. But mankind just can't help itself. We, we can't help ourselves. This is not a sermon for those people out there in the world that don't know Jesus. This is a sermon for us. We, at times... Marvel at our own magnificence. Each generation erects its own Tower of Babel. We paint Sistine chapels. We construct Gothic churches. We build statues of David out of marble. We build taller and taller and taller buildings in an attempt for immortality. We build the Eiffel Tower, then the Empire State Building, and now there's a building in the Middle East that is a half a mile high called Burj Khalifa. And if we can't build a tall building to immortalize ourselves and to somehow escape from consequence of life under the sun, we are now resorting to some strange behaviors. We, in our attempt for immortality, we have resorted to freezing ourselves. That is a real thing. If you have it, we chronologically, okay, uh, cryogenically, there we go, freeze ourselves. Hoping that somebody, some alien in the future will find this giant icebox with our head, sorry for being graphic, but our body there, and then to reattach our mind to a robot so we can live an immortal life. There's one problem with that. What if the power goes out, okay? I mean, the hopelessness of life without God manifests itself in our attempts at immortality. Yet what is the only creation that lasts forever? Let me say that again. What is the only creation that lasts forever? 
1 Peter 1.25 says this, All flesh is like grass. It disappears. How many of you have noticed that your lawn in the fall goes into hibernation, wherever that brown stuff is, okay? You don't have to mow it anymore. The all flesh is like grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. All of mankind's attempts for immortality under the sun fail. All of them deteriorate. All of them fall apart. And that's okay. That's okay. Because life is short and life is unfair. Can I get an amen? That when we try to find value in the world under the sun, outside of God himself, all of our attempts will eventually deteriorate. They will fall apart. And I want you to think about something. Mankind, since the beginning of time itself, has been trying to figure out a way to immortalize his own existence. I mean, think about the Tower of Babel in the beginning of the book of Genesis. I've already made reference to it. But that is an attempt to really be like God, to immortalize ourselves. But even today, it is evident in every city around the world that mankind attempts to be immortal. But the problem is, is that mankind can't even get out of its own way. Before my dad passed away, about eight months ago, at the age of 64, my dad told me a story about the Parthenon. Now, how many of you have ever heard of the Parthenon before? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. What you may not know is what actually happened to the Parthenon. The Parthenon is a building made out of pure marble that was put together more than 2,500 years ago. In 450 B.C., now this is before the time of Alexander the Great. So, so we're talking way, way long time ago, okay? We're talking about the book of Malachi. This is where we are chronologically speaking. In 450 B.C., 450 years before the time of Christ, the Greeks thought it would be a good idea to make a gigantic building called the Parthenon out of pure marble. And they erected it in Greece. And that building stood erect for 2,000 years. It survived earthquakes, it survived fires, it survived conquests, but mankind still couldn't get out of its own way in our attempts for immortality. What am I talking about? Late in the, this is what we don't know, okay. Late in the 17th century, the Turkish army thought it would be a good idea, this is a true story, thought it would be a good idea to store their gunpowder in the Parthenon. A single bullet, this is a true story, a single bullet hit the gunpowder and exploded the Parthenon. This is a true, a a building the size of a football field that stood for 2,000 years. The Turks thought it would be a good idea to store gunpowder there and the building exploded. All that's left now is really the front that it remains. Mankind and its attempt for immortality still can't even get out of its own way. The Parthenon is proof that life without God under the sun inevitably deteriorates, and that is okay. It's okay. I, I, I did a science experiment last week in the sermon, in the, in the pulpit. I asked you, and I'll ask you again. You probably researched it, so more hands are going to go up. But how many of you knew your grandparents' names? How many of you know the names of your grandparents' grandparents' names? Point proven. Friends, listen to me. God gives us meaning in life. God is where our value is. 
God is where our eternal home is. His legacy and his purpose for us is the only way that we have and attain eternal life. Amen? Life is short and life is unfair. That is the message of Ecclesiastes chapter 1, that God alone gives meaning to your life. Let me just say that again. God gives meaning to your life. He alone truly gives you your purpose. Only the being above the sun can grant meaning to life under the sun. Let me say that again. Only the being above the sun can grant meaning to your life under the sun. You can search for meaning outside of God. You can search for a legacy. You can search for a way to be immortal. And you can hope that your legacy will remain by giving your grandchildren money. And you should. Proverbs 13, 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But inevitably, our value, our meaning, our purpose in life is futile, is vanity outside of God himself. Can I just, amen? Can we just preach? I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even warmed up yet. Let's get, okay, let's keep going. All right. So the book of Ecclesiastes, let's go. And that's okay. All right. So today we begin our verse-by-verse exegesis or exposition of the book. Last week, and if you haven't listened to my sermon last week, you know that I was, you should watch it and you'll see that I was all wound up. And that's cool. I had lots of coffee that morning. And this morning I've had lots of coffee too. It's cool. Uh, but last week I really introduced the main concept, the main theme of the book of Ecclesiastes, which is essentially this, that the book of Ecclesiastes, the central theme is a life well lived. How do we live a good life in our 80 years under the sun? This is not talking about eternal life or eternal rewards. That is a sermon for a different day. It's talking about the 80 years that we have in the flesh. These are the five principles that Solomon really unpacks for us in the book of Ecclesiastes. Principle number one is that life is short. Life is unfair. Ecclesiastes 1 and 2 and beyond. Then number three, enjoy God's blessings. Because life is short and because life is unfair, just enjoy life. Find a way to enjoy your crummy job. Eat, drink, and be merry. Enjoy your toil. That is said six times. To eat, drink, and be merry. Fourth principle is to fear God. This is introduced by the author, the second character in the book. Fear God and keep his commandments. That is seen in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And if we abide by these five principles, we have a great life under the sun. That is really what I talked about last week. But this morning... I'm going to kind of talk about chapter 1, and then I'm going to unpack some background information for us this morning. This is where Byron's inner nerd will come out. Okay. Let me talk to you about the author and the date. Now, we already probably know who the author is to the book of Ecclesiastes, but some scholars just can't make up their mind, if I'm really honest with you. Some scholars believe it was this, uh, it may have been one of Solomon's sons, which cannot be possible in the slightest, and I'll tell you why here in just a moment. It's some people think it's somebody that's taken on a Solomon-like persona, as I said in the uh, video last week, but that can't be possible either. The evidence points to one simple conclusion, that Solomon is the author. Why do I say that? Just fire hose. Number one, the pleasure. He talks about pleasure over and over and over again in his book. But the pleasure at Solomon's disposal verifies that he is the author. What is at Solomon's disposal? He is king over Israel. He has all of the riches he would ever want. And he has 700 wives and 300 concubines. What a disaster. Okay, okay. He should have started a reality TV show. The Duggars got nothing on that guy. A thousand 
wives, essentially. The wisdom he displays in the book of Ecclesiastes is granted to him by God in 1 Kings 3. The use of characters mimics the book of Proverbs. Here in the book of Ecclesiastes, you have the preacher and you have the author. Think about the book of Proverbs. I'm not going to go into this rabbit trail, but who is in there? You have the wise son and the foolish son. You have more than that. And then lastly, you have this stylistic mix of wisdom and poetry. Really, this book is, you would say that it's wisdom literature, but it's also poetic. It's a mix of the two. All of those point to Solomon. But the best proof for Solomon's authorship is not in all that stuff. If you ever really want to verify who wrote a book of the Bible, if you just want to be like a nerd like me and just super uh, seminary kind of nerd... um, You should just read the book itself. It's called Internal Evidence. Notice with me in your text. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 12. This verifies that Solomon is the writer. I'll explain it. You see, you look at verse 12, and I'll let you read it for a second. It seems simple, but it's really actually quite deep and profound. Verse 12. I, the preacher, Kohelet. That is the Hebrew word behind that. The Hebrew name for the book of Ecclesiastes is that word, Kohelet, preacher, the one who assembles. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. Those three words are absolutely essential. He is king over Israel in Jerusalem. Okay. If you're not tracking with me, I'm going to, I, poor James this week, I, I think it was Tuesday and I was working on my sermon and I just totally just uh, threw up on him a sermon that he was not expecting what he got. It was all about this. There are only two possible men that fit that description. King over Israel in Jerusalem. There's only two men. Flip through the Rolodex of Old Testament history in your mind. Who are some of the kings that we know from the Old Testament? You think about what? Ahab. You think about his wife Jezebel. She was a king, but she's a main character. You think about Jehoshaphat, Asa. Who else? Can you, any other kings of Judah or Israel? David. What else? Solomon. What else? Saul. Good. What else? Josiah. Good. I didn't think about that one. Rehoboam, Jeroboam. But out of all of those kings, only two fit the description in verse 12. Why? Because it can't be Saul. Because Saul's capital was Gibeah, so it can't be from Jerusalem. It can't be Solomon's son, Rehoboam, or any king thereafter. Why? It's because of civil war. If you remember the Old Testament history, that the kings over the northern kingdom called Israel ruled from what city? Shechem. The kings over Judah ruled from where? Jerusalem. So you have to back up. So it has to be before the time of Rehoboam, because that's when civil war happened. You had the Union in the north and the Confederacy in the south. This is what happened. But then you have Saul. It can't be possibly Saul, because his capital is Gibeah. So there's only two people it possibly can be, according to verse 12. It is David and Solomon. That's it. And if you read Ecclesiastes, then you, you know it's not like the Psalms. Amen? The Psalms is just, it's awesome. It's just real. But you, you see the difference between Solomon's writing and David's writing. There's only one conclusion that you can come to, that Solomon wrote this book. Now listen to me. Why is that important? Solomon is the wisest man to ever live. 
How many of you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. How many of you have ever known somebody that is very wise? Okay. What do you always do when you recognize their wisdom? You listen. The wisest man to ever live is about to tell you how to have a great life under the sun. So watch it with me. Come back to verse 1 of chapter 1 of the book of Ecclesiastes. The author in verse 1 speaks and he introduces the preacher, the Kohelet. The words of the preacher, the son of David, another clue that is Solomon, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. As mentioned last week, the author introduces the second character and then notice the preacher's first sermon. We would say it's one of pessimism and depressing, but it's one of just blunt, honest truth. Can I speak? What does it say? It says, and the truth will, what? Set you free. When you bring truth into the light and you actually see it, it sets you free. It shouldn't, this shouldn't depress you. It's just truth. Verse 2. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. The word vanity here is the Hebrew word hebel. Hevel of hevel, everything is hevel. Hevel is the Hebrew word for vapor or smoke. It describes how life is enigmatic. Now, what in the world does that mean? It means difficult to understand. But it also, the smoke describes a paradox of life. How life seems to be like smoke. It seems to be full, only to disappear in just a moment. Hevel is used 38 times in this book in 12 chapters, and Hevel describes life like smoke. And that's not depressing. That's just real. Amen? Anybody over the age of, like, 40, you would probably say that life is short. Can I get an amen? That this is true. Now, I said last week that I didn't really believe this because I've been kind of a young person my whole life. Okay, okay, okay. So I haven't lived past my 40s yet. I, I, I can't really look back, but then I just thought about how life is short this week. I just reflected on that, and I said, wait a second. I have a five-year-old. When did that happen? You know, I, I've been married for 14 years, okay? When did that happen, okay? I'm losing my hair. Okay, um, life is short, whether we want to see it or not, whether we want to recognize it or not, so then we should just embrace it and change our lives based on it. You young people... Live for God today, not tomorrow. Live for God today, not tomorrow. Because your life is a vapor. Older people, as long as your lungs have breath, God has something for you to do. Because life is short. Let's just receive it. Let's embrace it. Let's not run from the truth. Like my dad said last week, uh, as I shared, that my dad said to me one time before he passed away that he wakes up every morning, he stares in the mirror, and wonders who that old man really is. Depressing. Okay. Uh, <laughs> welcome to Calvary Bible Church, where we preach the Bible. Um, so really... Solomon, in verse 2, introduces the theme of chapter 1, that life is short. Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. The life is like smoke, life is like hevel. But then if you notice in your text, Solomon then gives us four different illustrations to illustrate and to prove that life is short. Verse 4, this is illustration number 1. 
A generation comes and a generation goes, but the earth remains forever. That is truth, right? Generations come and generations go. Build your castles, build your nest egg, but climb a mountain and see if it cares. Life without God is vanity. We think man-made creations will give us immortality. But generations come and generations go. For example, we think fame will give us immortality. How many of you have ever heard, and I literally wrote her name down. How many of you ever heard of an actress called Lila Gish? One. She was the most famous actress in the silent film era. And no one remembers her name. How many of you have ever heard, sometimes we think wealth gives us immortality. That that, that if if I build up enough treasure on earth, that that, that I will be remembered forever. How many of you have ever heard of a guy named Bill Gates? Of course, right? Okay, come on. How many of you guys have ever heard of a guy named J. Paul Getty? More than I thought. There you go. Okay, good job. Sermon illustration didn't quite work. Okay. But half of you don't know him. He was the richest man in the 60s. And he has been largely forgotten. Any of our attempts to build a Tower of Babel, any attempt outside of God, outside of eternal life and eternal rewards, that we try to leave life under the sun, any attempt will deteriorate. And that is okay. Because your value is not here. It is in God. In what He says about you. Amen? Your Creator dictates your purpose and your value. And what does he say about you? That man is created in his image. The only creation in all of the world that is that description. God determines your meaning and your purpose and your, in a sense, legacy. Verse 5. Notice illustration number 2 for the vanity of life. Generations come and generations go. The vanity of life is the sun. Also, the sun rises and the sun sets and hastens to its place. It rises there again. What is he saying? And no matter what you do in your 80 years, what's going to happen the day after you pass away? The sun is going to rise and the sun is going to set. I, I heard a story. I'm just going to rob this story from a fellow preacher. And that's what we do in ministry. Uh, but I'll give him credit so I don't get in trouble. Uh, if you have, this guy named Tommy Nelson in Denton Bible Church. He preached through the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's really good. And you should listen to it. Just And um, you'll see what you really have, because he's great. <laughs> so, but, um, he shared a story of a young man who just buried his father. And then driving home from the graveside, this young man saw men working, putting on roofs, laying roads. And he thought to himself, why are those men working? They should stop and mourn. But the sun hastens to its place. It quickly rises again the next day and stops for no one. And that is okay. Illustration number three, the wind. Verse six, blowing toward the south, then turning toward the north. The wind continues swirling along, and on its circular courses, the wind returns. What is he saying? That the wind blows wherever and whenever it wants to, and there is nothing we can do to stop it. Despite all of our technology, all of our power, nuclear bombs, and radar, we are still powerless to stop even a gentle breeze. The only wind we can control is manufactured wind. It's called a fan. 
Okay? That's all we have. We can't, we are utterly powerless. We think that we're some high and mighty creation. (laughs) And we are God's greatest creation. Can I just say it that way? But we are nowhere close to God. He is immortal, invincible. He is omniscient, omnipresent. He is God and we are not. Illustration number four for the shortness and the vanity of life is water. The circulation of water. Verse seven. All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, there they flow again. What is it talking about? This is the cyclical nature of water, which reflects that life is short. That water evaporates over the ocean, brings rain to my front yard that badly needs it right now, drained by the rivers to the sea, and the sea is never full. His point is this, is that life without God is vanity. That's his point. And he proves it to you in four different illustrations under the sun. These are all four. Generations come and go. The water, wind, etc. Verse 8. This is Solomon's conclusion. He gives you a thesis, illustrations, because he's a preacher, right? That's what we do. We tell stories, okay? He gives you illustrations, and then he comes to a conclusion. Verse 8. All things are wearisome. Let me prove it to you. How many of you in this room are tired? Okay, if you're not, you're not telling the truth. Okay, all right, all right. So you've had too much coffee maybe this morning. All things are wearisome. Can I get an amen? It's exhausting being a son of Adam under the sun. Why? Because our work is one of thorns and thistles. We are tired. There's nothing we can do to fully combat the forces of nature. Men in the room. How many of you like mowing your lawn with a push mower? One person. I love doing a riding lawnmower, okay? But push mower, no one does. All things are wearisome. That's his point. All things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. If you notice in your text, keep going with me. Verse 9 and 10. That which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be. So there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, see this, it is new, already it has existed for ages. Is that true? Because we erect, create new things all the time. But if you really take a step back and think about the totality of history. Somebody actually invented fire one day. I guess God did, but figured it out. Any attempt to say that something is new really is an attempt to erect our own Tower of Babel. Because with time, that new thing will become overgrown with weeds and bleached by the sun. If there were no man on earth, what would happen to the Empire State Building? Weeds would grow up on the outside of it, and the sun would bleach it out, and eventually it would fall. There's nothing new under the sun. Welcome to Calvary Bible Church. Um, If you notice with me, verse 12. So you have verses 1 through 11, describes life without God as vanity, and I need to hurry. And then verses 12 through 18, it describes wisdom without God as vanity. Now notice with me that what the wisest man on earth said about wisdom. Verse 13. I set my mind to seek and to explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under the sun. It is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. Wait, wait a second. Wait a second. The wisest man on earth to ever live says that wisdom itself is vanity. Why? Because it's a... 
paradox. Wisdom is a paradox. It enlightens truth, but reveals darkness. The light of wisdom reveals the folly of others. Being powerless to force others to make wise decisions causes pain. I'm going to read that last sentence, and I'm going to prove it to you. The light of wisdom reveals the folly of others. What is wisdom? It is the application of knowledge, or we could say discernment. It is taking what you know to be true in all of your experience and encountering a new situation and making a wise choice based on it. It is knowledge in action or discernment. The light of wisdom reveals the folly of others. Being powerless to force others to make wise choices causes pain. Verse 18. Because in much wisdom there is much grief and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. How does being wise increase your pain? Parents in the room. How many of you parents in the room have ever been grieved by your child's poor choice? Parents of teenagers in the room. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's just, how many of you have ever been grieved by the poor choice of your teenagers? My poor soul of a dad, right? Hey, I was a knucklehead, right? There is wisdom in a parent. They know discernment. They know that certain actions lead to awful and sometimes lifelong consequences. As a teenager, you do not have the wisdom to discern that. Your parents are looking into the future and say, well, if you continue to go down this road, it will lead here. And we as young people don't like to hear it because we want freedom. But guess what? If you're young, you're under the age of like, well, under the age of anybody, you should listen to your parents. But especially teenagers, you should listen to mom and dad. Because anybody wants to see you successful, it's them. Amen? That's just the truth. My dad got mad at me for driving 95 miles an hour on the parkway. And he should have gotten mad. That's called wisdom. I was a knucklehead at 16 years old. And that's okay. Just learn. The folly of wisdom, the vanity of wisdom, is that it enlightens truth, but it reveals the darkness and foolishness of other people, including your own children. Verse 14. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity striving after the wind. Can I just pause and give just a theological thought? What was work originally supposed to be? If you think about the Garden of Eden, God designed us to work. God designed us to work, but after the fall of man, it changed from one that is ordained by God in a perfect environment to one, a work of thorns and thistles. How many of you, working men in the room, feel like your job is just one of thorns and thistles? It's exhausting. We all experience that, especially when I was renting cars for a living. That's just mankind. That's work. That's displaying the fallen nature of God. And that's one of the reasons why I believe that the Bible is truth. It explains every aspect of life. Amen? Including why work stinks. But Solomon tells us here next chapter that even in the midst of pain and the toil of thorns and thistles that we should try to find a way to be joyful in it. God created us to work. That's why when people retire, they get, they're all confused. Because God has designed you to do something for a reason. 
As long as your lungs have breath, God has something for you to do. Verse 14, I've seen all the works which have been done under the sun. Now notice that. Under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. Notice verse 15. What is crooked cannot be straightened. <laughs> and uh, uh, This makes me laugh because it's just, uh, just blunt and uh, depressing. What is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. That without God's redemption, work is just one of thorns and thistles. That you are trying to provide for your family and find a purpose, and work will never end, and that is okay. Can I just speak bluntly and plainly? Um, no matter your job, no matter how much you despise your boss, no matter how much you despise your job, try to find a way to find joy in it. Because you probably will only live once. Okay? And you will probably spend 40 years at that job, working 50 years, working in corporate America, and that is a long period of time to be miserable. Amen? Find a way to be joyful in your job. Take joy in your toil. That's what Solomon says again and again and again throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. And guess what? We live in America. Praise Jesus for it. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. We live in America. And if you cannot, if you do not like your job, if you cannot find a reason to be joyful in it, guess what you can do? You can go get another job. But, let me just say, the grass is not always greener on the other side. Okay. I suspect if you struggle to find joy in this job, you're going to struggle to find joy in that job. Joy is a choice that we must make every single day. That despite how horrible your circumstances are at your job, work under the sun is one of thorns and thistles, but the message that we see in the book of Ecclesiastes is to be joyful despite it. Amen? Verse 16, I said to myself, Behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem. Again, this is proof of Solomon's authorship before me. And my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge, and I set my mind to know wisdom and to know folly and madness. I realize that this also is striving after the wind. Why? Verse 18, because. This is the reason why it is folly. Because in much wisdom there is much grief, and increasing knowledge results increasing pain. I've already mentioned it. What is the vanity of wisdom? It is the vanity of a paradox. That if you are a very wise person, it enlightens truth, but it causes pain from the poor decisions of other people. That is the light and the vanity of wisdom that he is describing. My father waited up every Friday night when I was in high school. And he made sure that I was home by midnight. Why did my wise father do that? Because as he would say, that nothing good happens after midnight. Can I get an amen from all the parents in the room? Sorry, teenagers. <laughs> I'm not your parents, so you can't be mad at me. That's just the truth. That's called a good parent, to be honest with you. A good parent, not necessarily to make you home at midnight, but a good parent is aware that poor consequences cause lifelong consequence. Amen? Life is short, life is unfair, even the pursuit of wisdom is unfair. Verses 1 through 11 really describe the principle that life is short, vanity, and really verses 12 through 18 describe wisdom and its vanity, but that in itself 
exclaims the principle that life is unfair because God tells us to pursue wisdom in Proverbs 4, 5 through 9, but in and of itself, when we pursue it, on the other side, it increases pain for the poor decisions of other people. Life is short and life is unfair. Let's just embrace it. Amen? And I will say, by the way, if you grow tired of me saying those phrases, I'm sorry. Because guess what? The next 11 weeks are going to be full of. Okay. Why? It's because I'm trying to drill into your mind the principles that are in the book of Ecclesiastes. Because when we do, we will have this. Some homework assignments. And I know that we are not in school, but I'm just going to encourage you to get off the bleachers and into the game. I'm going to encourage you to kind of pour into the book of Ecclesiastes with me because only when you actually invest in the book will you get as much from it as I have. It's changed my life. Assignment number one is this, and you have your notes sheet. It should be on the back of your notes. And by the way, if you don't have notes, they're up there and out in the foyer. Assignment number one is this. I want you to look up this theme in the scripture. I want you to look up the theme that life is short. That life is short. That life is like a vapor. Okay, those types of verses. I want you to find five different Bible verses that describe that life is short. There's plenty of them, trust me. Psalm 90 is a good place to start. Okay. And if you want to find five Bible verses, you can Google it or you can use a reference Bible. There's lots of different ways to do it. So find five Bible verses that talk about the shortness of life. And I want you to read all five Bible verses every week this year. This year. Every, every day this week. Okay. Say that appropriately. I want you to read that, those five verses every day this week. So find them today and then read the scripture. Assignment number two. As I want you to think about this week, who have you known to be wise? Who have you known to be wise? I want you to put a, their name on your notes. I want you to put their name in, their, in your mind. And I want, you to ask, I want you to ask the second question. What made them wise? What was it about them that told me that they were wise? What, what, what was it about their aura or their words or, or what they said that showed that they are wise? Let me just, can I just speak? Um, in the room, who have you known to be somebody that is wise? How many of you would put at least one parent on that list? Amen. I'll put two of them on there. Assignment number three is this. I want you to read the entire book of, the, of Ecclesiastes. I want you to read it again this week, cover to cover. I asked you to do that last week. I'm going to ask you to do it again and probably for the next 12 weeks straight. So I want you to read the book of Ecclesiastes cover to cover at some point this week. It is 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And what I want you to do is as you're reading the book of Ecclesiastes, I want you to figure out the outline of the book of Ecclesiastes. There are only three main pieces of the book of Ecclesiastes. There's three chunks. Two of them are huge and one of them is small. I'll give you a hint. Okay? There are three parts to the book of Ecclesiastes. So what I want you to do is I want you to outline the book just so you have an understanding of how God has woven this book together. And I purposefully did not include the outline this week to get you to do it. So, uh, so I want you to look at the three parts of the book of Ecclesiastes and just embrace that life is short and that life is unfair. Amen. Before I close, um, I share this every week. Uh, all of this, life really is vanity without God. Um, you can strive. You can try to find meaning outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. You could try to find purpose outside of Him. You could try to find your value and your worth and your identity outside of God. But truly speaking, 
the only, the value that you really have, your identity is in Christ and in God alone. That is truly your value. If you do not have that value, if you do not know what God says about you, if you don't know what it means to be born again, Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross. Why? And we sang about it this morning. Because he paid for my sin in full, my mistakes. He was without blemish, a lamb that was without blemish, taking on the sins of the world, and he paid for my sin in full. And that if I believe in Jesus Christ, not only will I inherit eternal life, but then I will begin to understand the value that I have in God and in him alone. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning. Um, what, 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 what awesome, I mean, I, I love the book of Ecclesiastes. What, what awesome truths. Let's not, let's not chalk it up to pessimism and depressing. It's just real. And life stinks under the sun. And that's okay. Let us find our value and our worth in you, not in things that deteriorate. Lord, uh, life under the sun without God is vanity. Wisdom without God is vanity. Uh, Lord, I, I, I pray for my church. Um, I thank you for this church, man. I love the fact that we have people of all ages, broad age ranges. And I thank you for what you're doing here at Calvary. I thank you for how you have shown your power this week in BBS. And just, it's been an awesome week. And Lord, I just pray that, that we would not um, interpret the book of Ecclesiastes as something to be depressed over, but something to embrace, as something that's real. And Lord, let it change our lives. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for how it causes, it shows us truth, it teaches us truth, and how we can walk according to it. And I pray that we would do so. And I pray for those that do not know you. I pray you would open the eyes of the blind. Let them see truth in your gospel. We lift this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.